You're listening to the Ontos Podcast, where we explore the nature of stories in the pursuit of being in truth. I'm Matt. And I'm Vod. And our sentience depends on you. Now cue the intro music. When the Lord Ruler offered his plan to his Ferrochemist friends, the plans to change them into misrates. He was making them speak on behalf of all the land's ferrochemists. Though, he changed his friends into Condra to restore their minds and memories. The rest he left as non-sentient miswraiths. These bred more of their kind, living and dying, becoming a race unto themselves. From these children of the original miswraiths, he made the next generation of Condra. However, even gods can make mistakes. I have learned Rashik, the Lord Ruler, thought to transform all of the living ferrochemists into misrafes. However, he did not think of the genetic heritage left in the other terrorist people, whom he left alive. So it was the ferrochemist. So it was that ferrochemists continued to be born, if only rarely. This oversight cost him much, but gained the world so much more. The question remains where did the original prophecies about the Hero of Ages come from? I now know that Ruin changed them, but did not fabricate them. Who first taught that a hero would come, one who would be an emperor of all mankind, yet would be rejected by his own people? Who first slated he would carry the future of the world on his arms, or that he would repair that which had been sundered? And who decided to use the neutral pronoun, so that we wouldn't know if the hero was a woman or a man? Quellian actually placed his spike himself. As I understood it, the man was never entirely stable. His fervor for following Kelsier and killing the nobility was enhanced by Rune, but Quellian had already had the impulses. His passionate paranoia, paranoia bordered on insanity at times, and Rune was able to prod him into placing that crucial spike. Quellian's spike was bronze, and he made it from one of the first Alamancers he captured. That spike made him a seeker which was one of the ways he was able to find and blackmail so many Alamancers during his time as King of Otur. The point, however, is that people with unstable personalities were much more susceptible to Ruin's influence, even if they didn't have a spike in them. That, indeed, is likely how Zane got his spike. A callback okay. to Zane there, because there's a whole like theory mm. about like how did Zane get his spike, and I think this makes a lot of sense that he just somehow got it in himself. Yeah, no, 100%. So we didn't point it out because you told me not to when we were doing Well of Ascension. You told me not to point out the fact that Zane was spiked. It's trade up said it like when he was like uh, preparing to go fight Vin the final time where he ended up being killed. It mentioned how he had this spike in between his shoulder blades. And yeah. And he had voices in his head and everything like that. So, (laughs) yeah, it's pretty crazy to think about. But uh, let's go ahead and hop over and let's get this started. So we're going to start with chapter 68. So Sazed's point of view here. Sazed had just arrived at the Pits of Hassan and the Chondra homeworld. And homeworld, I call it homeworld, but like Chondra homelands, whatever you want to say it. Uh, And... He's going through watching them. He notices that they all have little spikes the same way that Tinsun explained. But he knows they won't harm a human. And so he straight up tells them, hey, you know, take me to the, uh, the first generation. And they're like, what? 
why would we do that? And he goes, okay, well then I'm just going to leave then and tell everyone where you, <laughs> where, where you are. And they're like, oh, okay, come on, come with us. And he's taken to the second generation and he walks in and he just talks about this interior, this big interior that is just completely surrounded by metal. Interesting. What have we learned about metal recently with Rune? Okay. This interior is just surrounded by metal. And Sazed tells the second generation respectfully to just F off. He's not there for them. He's there for the first generation. And he claims that he is the announcer. I'm here to speak with the manager. Yeah, I'm here to speak. (laughs) Yep, I'm here to speak with the manager. And Kampar is really upset and then the first generation excuse them and they get to talking and yeah the second generation does not believe that the end times are happening but Sazed mentions that his specialty is in religion and he has a and the thing is that the reason he needs to talk to them so badly is that they know the terrorist religion and Sazed has a book that has been heavily altered by ruin that talks about this about the terrorist prophecies Therefore, if their knowledge is combined with the, the book that Ruin has changed, they'll be able to find out what Ruin's been trying to hide from them or what Ruin's been trying to keep from them. And it's with that that the first generation acknowledges Sazed as a world bringer. And Sazed recognizes that the first generation's wearing their own original bones. And that's the end of 68. So 69. We get Marsh point of view. And he hates himself, obviously. But the cool, or the, not the cool, I guess the interesting thing here is he's just talking about how he's sitting there like a discarded tool. He ran from Vin because Vin had scared Ruin, and he confirms this. Ruin freaked out and forced him to run. And he is just sitting somewhere in the dominance, just doing nothing until he sees a, a solitary figure approaching. And he goes, well, I'm here to kill that person, I guess. And Ruin controls him, and he goes to fight him. And we end up learning that this soldier is Captain Gordell. And Marsh is able to kill him. But right before Gordell dies, he tries to destroy this thin sheet of metal he was carrying, and he fails. Then Ruin commands Marsh to read it out loud, which basically confirms everything up to this point that we're realizing. Even Marsh says, why isn't Ruin just reading it? Why can't he just read it? Ruin can't read what's put in metal. He can't change it. He can't mess with it. That is confirmed at this point. So I'm going to read the whole thing here because I think it's very important and moving forward. And so we're just going to keep it, keep it up. So this is what Spook, the message Spook sent. Then, my mind is clouded. A part of me wonders what is real anymore. Yet one thing seems to press on me again and again. I must tell you something. I don't know if it will matter but I must say it nonetheless. The thing we fight is real. I have seen it. It tried to destroy me, and it tried to destroy the people of Ortur. It got control of me through a method I wasn't expecting. Metal. A little sliver of metal piercing my body. With that, it was able to twist my thoughts. It couldn't take complete control of me like you control the Coloss, but it did something similar. I think... uh, I, I think. Perhaps the piece of metal wasn't big enough. I don't know. Either way, it appeared to me, taking the form of Kelsier. It did the same thing to the king here in Ortur. It is clever. It is subtle. Be careful, Vin. Don't trust anyone pierced by metal. 
even the smallest bit can taint a man. Spook. And with that having been destroyed and Captain Gorodel failing to get that message to Vin, Marsh heads to Lupadel. And that's the end of 69. 70. We get Ellen's point of view. And he's showing how good of a leader he truly is. Yeoman doesn't understand why he's walking around, but he's putting Tendril's teachings to, um, to use here. He is focusing very heavily on raising the morale of the men by being just present. And Yeoman and Ellen learn a lot from each other. You can tell they both have a ton of respect for each other now, specifically and definitely that they're on the same side. So they, we see in the hospital that a boy comes rushed in who's fallen to the mist. And Yeoman isn't cruel, but he's just practical. He, he's upset that the woman didn't expose the child. Like he basically ordered the whole city to be exposed to the mist. And they get to talking, Ellen and Yeoman. And Ellen points out all that they learned, that it takes 16% of the population. And Yeoman starts describing how 16 is a powerful number. And we got this a little bit from Demu when Demu talked about how 16 was super powerful with Kelsier and everything. But now it took the Lord Ruler 16 days to reach the well. The number of original Inquisitors was 16. And then the big one that Ellen's able to piece together really quickly, 16 is the number of Alimantic metals. Now this is news because up to this point, they understood 10 and then Vin discovered, or then the 11th metal was with Kelsier. Then Vin discovered Duralumin, which made 12. And then there was aluminum. And then, and then there's aluminum, and then there's electrum. So there should be 14. And Yeoman's like, yeah, we don't know the other two. Not even we know the other two. But there should be 16, because why would that make sense? And he breaks it down better, but he basically explains, like, why wouldn't there be 16 metals? It doesn't make any sense here. And that is when Ellen pieces it together. He goes, These, this boy is in the most pain I've ever seen. I've been in this pain before. The only time I've been in this pain was when I snapped. And that's when the Coloss attack immediately. And Ellen goes, I figured it out. And Ruin knows. And he starts rushing around. He says, you need to get everyone who's fallen sick to the mist together and give them medals because we have an army of Alamancers. And that's the end of 70. I love, again, you know, the, the, the last half of, or the last third of the last third of a book. Oh my gosh. You know, yeah. here we are, you know, it was staring us in the face again with the snapping because um, like right after I think they exposed the army to the mists vin and ellen had their talk about how the nobles would have to beat their kids to near death mm-hmm. in order to snap them um yeah and again it's it's played right in front of you like here's what snapping is here's how it works and i never once suspected like oh yeah this it must they must be snapping it must be that must be why they were doing all this i didn't either and i think the crazy thing here right is I mentioned it before. I mentioned it, you know, at the end when we do our little, like, look into the future for our next episodes. But, like, you know, we talked about where the heck is preservation and all this. But, like, there's a plan. They're, like, like preservation didn't leave them hang, like, just to dry. Right. There's something there. 
even if he wasn't able to, you know, go out of his way and do direct things, he was clearly he had some he has something in motion. Um, and this whole thing is where we're seeing like the the patterns of everything uh, start coming through. And, you know, it's funny because Yeoman sees his own patterns. Um, you had mentioned uh, was it Nabdimu? He had his own patterns, but like they're mm-hmm. all like honing in on something. Um, they're all like seeing like, Hey, this is, you know, undeniable stuff. I forgot that the Lord ruler had gotten, uh, it took 16 days to get to the well of Ascension. Uh, good to know. Um, there's also a little bit of here, uh, I was actually going to bring this up to you before, but I was considering after we did well, uh, hero of ages to start doing some of the first iterations of philosophy of Brandon, because this actually has a little bit of an interesting, um, poke at that. So, and in Will of Ascension, we had a lot of Ellen being like, here's my theory. Here's why I'm going to do this, yada, yada, yada. And a bunch of people just smacking him down like, you can't do that. This is reality. And you look at Yeoman as being, you know, much smarter. I don't really say much smarter. Um, very well-educated, very experienced um, with what he's doing. And that's why he was able to take, you know, overpower and everything like that. And you have this moment between Ellen and Yeoman who are now working together uh, full on. And Yeoman's like, oh, you need to ca- take care of sanitation and you need to take care of food. If Whoever takes care of that is victorious. And he's like, ah, I see you're, like, you're quoting literature again. And he goes, Ellen comes out and says, basically, there's a lot of issues with emotion when it comes to battle. And this is something mm-hmm. you don't get you know, from just reading the books and everything like that. So I actually found that as a very interesting parallel, too, because Yeoman was straight up just Elland in Well of Ascension. He's actually almost exactly the same. The only thing he has going for him, which just shows how important it was, is Ellen was trying to reform a government while Yeoman was trying to bring back the old government. It's the only reason, in my opinion, that he had the support of everyone because he's kind of falling into... Other than Yeoman, I think, being smarter than Ellen when it came to, like, actually holding off the siege and stuff, the only thing that, or the the thing is, is he's doing the same thing Ellen is. He, he's relying purely on literature at this point. This is all new territory to him. He doesn't have the experience. I think, I think you've got a very good point, one that I hadn't really fully considered, which you're right, like, like Yeoman's trying to, you know, preserve and hold on to the past, and, and Ellen was very aggressively trying to change it. Um, my only difference with that was I was considering the fact that Yeoman as an obligator most likely had a significant amount of actual experience and a deep understanding of the system that he was in first and why they were in, which, you know, obviously if you understand, Ellen may have understood the system perfectly fine too, but he was trying to change it. So he's doing something different. So you're probably right. I think, I think that's probably a bigger point to make that, you know, uh, Ellen was trying to change the system, whereas Yeoman was just working within his system. Um, yeah, no, exactly. Like it doesn't. It also helps that like the 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 old system, right, was you know not perfect, but it was relatively stable for a thousand years, right. So him going and building, like him just going back to the system that had worked this whole time, probably made it a lot easier versus Ellen, like you know, and and the system Yeoman had, right. All the power went to the all the power went to the Lord Ruler, and he was using that to his advantage to rule at this point. Versus, Ellen made the one big mistake of he put the power in a bunch of people's other people's hands, which 
during the problem and the time period they were in, they didn't need power to be separated. They needed one unified leader who could push them in the right direction until um, this same mindset started fostering. The mindset that Ellen had needed time to grow and come in and basically not be immediately smothered down. Well, and so the reason I bring up this idea of like philosophy of Brandon is um, Brandon as a writer, you know, pretty consistently, I, the way I see him is he has like personifications of certain ideas. And there are certain people that, especially in his early writings, which Mistborn was pretty early on, um, he had certain people that were right and certain people that were wrong in his mind. Mm-hmm. Um Ellen is right. Like, that's the guy. Like, whatever yeah. Ellen thinks or believes, like, in terms of ideology, from Brandon's point of view, is right. Like, he doesn't really get challenged on it much. And I'm going to mean by challenge, he doesn't go, you know, slavery is bad. And then someone goes, slavery is good, actually. And he, she goes, he goes, hmm, I didn't consider that. Like, it's more of like, yeah. uh, oh, I wanted to implement it this way, but maybe I should have tried to implement it this way instead. He was still, like, in himself, like, I think this is right. And the only reason I'm maybe not going to do this this way is because it's not practical right now to work. Um, no, 100%. I'd like to use the most recent recent uh, idea with the Koloss where preservation was warning them, right? It was trying to warn them of Ruin's trick. Don't attack Fadric. Don't attack Fadric, right? And he ends up not doing it. But, like, if we were to take preservation out of this, which was essentially Brandon's way of saying, don't do it. Right. Don't do it. If we took him him out of it completely, in that moment, you know, they needed to attack that city. It made sense, right? Like, they needed to. And, again, Ellen doesn't do it because he's the guy who's right, you know? So, yeah. in the end, he didn't do the thing. And he had his, like, Frodo moment where he collapses and he was going to, like, give up. And, you know, we had a literal deus ex machina come in and, mm-hmm. and kind of address that but my point is is that when you look at you know a philosophy of bread in here you have different levels of power and different ways powers address you look at ellen you look at set you look at yeoman um you look at all the different players in well of ascension and many of them were you know sometimes they were selfish sometimes you know they had actual practical understandings of things um even i think uh Jasty's, uh, you know, he was mm-hmm. his best friend and literally said, I tried to implement everything you wanted to do and I failed, failed utterly, you know, um, and I not only failed, I lost everything. He lost for everything. Doing it. Right. And it was, it's, it's a very heartbreaking story. I mean, if you think about mm-hmm. it, I mean, Jesse's had a really, really, you know, sour end, um, when he tried to do everything right. And then in the end, he was a big, you know, sourpuss and he was really, really difficult to deal with. But it's like, could you blame him? I mean, Ellen probably would have, I bet Jassy's in my opinion was the personification of Ellen. If he didn't have Vin, like if he yeah, didn't have a no, misborn. Yeah. We literally talked about that. Like, I think I brought up that point when we were talking about well of Ascension is Jassy's was literally Ellen without the support of the crew. He didn't have the crew in his corner. And then you have another one of his friends who is here with Yeoman. And they basically were like, yeah, that was all fun. But we grew, we all grew up. And he Mm -hmm. basically like went back into the system. Again, I think that's Ellen if he had like escaped and didn't have a Vin. Like, I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe not. 
I mean, the Ellen, go, the ghost, the ghost of Christmas past, future, and present. Right, and, and I mean, Ellen's probably a little hangs on to things a little bit more aggressively. Um, so he probably wouldn't have like succumbed that that much. But if he had like everything taken from him, and had lost everyone he cared about, uh, trying to do the thing he was trying to do, then he probably would have just abandoned him. But you know, this is just one of those points when they talk about you know, set a few chapters ago was telling Ellen how. You know, I don't I don't think you're an effective ruler. I don't think you're very good at your job, but there's something to be said about loyalty. And you definitely have that. And you have people who actually are following you because they like you, which there's an obvious advantage to that. I think it's dumb that you basically hold on to that really aggressively, but I still kind of respect you for it. Um, And then Ellen is just kind of listening to set now, but taking his stuff with a grain of salt, being like, clearly set has Mm. some points to make and. Clearly, he has some wisdom to bestow, but I don't have to be I don't have to become the jaded, you know, person that he was. We find out that set is kind of a was kind of a teddy bear, sort of, maybe possibly with the poetry thing. We think that, yeah, his friend, you know, that was in Fadrick's was like, uh, I forgot what his name was. Um, Swift Slow. Swift Slow. Yeah. Was like, hey, he was actually a pretty chill guy who wrote great poetry and he just you know, succumb to his circumstances. Well, I mean, we're seeing a lot of that too. So this is again, like an interesting, like nature nurture thing when it comes to, uh, you know, Brandon's kind of philosophy. He has guys like, um, like, um, Ellen's father, uh, who were just terrible people and they were terrible all the time. And they were like, just, you know, injustify the means all the time. And uh, you don't really get like a, oh, he had a horrible backstory kind of thing. But with all these other guys, they're like, there's actually a reason why they, you know, have a good reason to why they make terrible decisions. Uh, You know, by the again, by the point of view of the author, not by me just saying it, uh, because I'm going to say that Brandon would say, hey, you know, maybe they had some reasonable ideas, but I think they're not the right one. Ellen's is the guy. So that's that's one of my one of my tangents. Um, the other thing I love was uh, was having Compar get put in his place. You know, we had all his boomer mm-hmm. antics yep. earlier on, um, and says is actually being able to talk to the first generation. And the first thing they give him is uh, a sheet of metal and something to scratch into it. So they already understand yep. that concept. Um, I don't think. I was trying to remember like how far they went into it. They didn't get very, that, very that's far. That's it. That's literally it because I think we're going to go ahead and end this episode here because when we come back for the finale for this week, you know, we're deep in the Sanderlanch and we get to see Sazed finally looking through and seeing the last piece of the Lord Ruler's plan, Tinsoon and Spook preparing the world for what's to come, and Vin ultimately discovering Preservation's ace in the hole. Hey everyone, Vod here. Please rate our podcast and follow us for regular episodes Monday through Friday. If you enjoy listening, consider subscribing. We are a very small project, so please support us with likes and comments. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash ontos. That's patreon.com slash O-N-T-O-S. Thanks again, and remember, our sentience depends on you.